0: So if you got your workbooks, open up to lesson number six, the Bible's Beginnings. For those of you who may be joining us for the very first time, we're going through a series of how we got our Bible, talking about the doctrines of inspiration and inerrancy and infallibility and preservation. And then last week we looked at the current form that our Bible takes, that we have two covenants, an old covenant and a new covenant, and the writings surrounding both of those. We looked at the structure of the books and how they're organized in our English Bible, how they're organized in the Hebrew Bible. Um, and talked a little bit about the uh, the benefit and blessings of different ways of organizing the books in Scripture. So today we're moving on to Lesson 6. So let's bow our heads before we begin. Our Lord, you do pray your blessing upon our time of study here this morning. We're so grateful for this place to, to meet, for the fellowship that we enjoy in your Son, for the blessing of our salvation, the blessing of your Word. We pray that today our time of study here and reflection would give us an appreciation for what you have done to give us Scripture and that we may appreciate that book, and we may see in it, hear in it your voice, and see in it your glory. And so we pray that you would bless this time and give us understanding and insight and and uh, be glorified here through all that is said and the meditation of our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're still dealing with some of the foundational issues. Of how we got the Scriptures. And today it's going to seem like, wow, this seems like an ancient history lesson and really nothing to do with Scripture. But I promise you that as we lay this foundation today, looking at uh, the various forms that writings have taken over the course of human history, that in the weeks ahead, some of this, I'll be referring back to some of this stuff that we're covering today. So it, it is necessary. We're going to be talking today about the early writing materials that people use throughout human history. And uh, this is necessary to understand this, I think, first so that we can have an appreciation for the 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 Scriptures that we have today, how it came to be, but also so that we can understand the history of how writings were transmitted throughout human history. So early writings, we're talking about an area, as we're going to be talking about an area today, Um we're going to be zeroing in on this area right here, Israel, and what's called the Fertile Crescent right there. So, I'm going to zoom in on a couple of those maps. You can see Israel here. this is the Dead Sea, and this is the Sea of Galilee up here. And then the Fertile Crescent is this area up here around um, this is the the cradle stages of human history. it's called in the northern area of north of the Syrian desert, north of Israel. That is where civilization really started, and by civilization starting, I don't mean that primates evolved into human beings in that area. What I mean by civilization started is that the earliest records that we have of people settling after Noah got off the boat with his three children and their wives and his wife is in that area of the Fertile Crescent, and that's really where uh, human civilization after the worldwide flood began to, um, began to flourish. I'm going to talk for a moment about stone tablets, early writings. Uh, let me, before we go into stone tablets for a second, um, let me talk a little bit about the history of writing. The earliest writings that we have are from 3,000 BC in the in the Mesopotamian area, which was that area that I just showed you here. And oh, I got to remember this is this is my pointer. I got to get this right. This is my pointer, but not my clicker. My clicker is down here. <clears throat> okay, so. The form of some of the earliest writings you're familiar with, Egyptian hieroglyphics. We we see that, we get that, the, the whole pictures, the way of communicating <laughs> through pictures. We're familiar with Egyptian hieroglyphics. Those uh, writing or, uh, yeah, human script or writing, communicating through written language, was really done in pictures before it was done with any kind of an alphabet. So the writing of, the writing with pictures goes back to 3000 BC in Mesopotamia, and it took the form of Egyptian style hieroglyphics, though different civilizations had different hieroglyphic styles. The first alphabet script was devised around 1750 BC. That was the first alphabet script that was ever used, and it was used uh, in that area, the Fertile Crescent, and in what we call Palestine, but we'll just call it Israel because Palestine is not a land. And it was used by Semitic peoples. So it was the Semitic-type peoples uh, that first developed alphabets and used alphabet-type scripts. Before that, they didn't have alphabets. They had pictures that they would use for communicating in writing. Yeah. Semitic means uh, like uh, of Shem's tribe, so the Jews, the, the Jews, Jews people and the Jews who were the descendants of Shem off of the ark. Um The proto-Sionatic inscriptions date to 1500 BC, BC, and they're found about 50 miles from the traditional site of Mount Sinai. And there are, of course, rock carvings and everything that date back to that time. So just think, prior to 1750, it was pictures. After 1750s, they started to, 1750 BC, they started to develop alphabet script that was used in writings. At one time, by the way, it was thought that, that writing did not exist at the time of Moses. Does anybody know when Moses lived? 1500 BC. Keep that in mind, 1500 BC. Um, It was believed that um, there was no such thing as writing before the time of Moses. And then archaeologists started to discover writings that predate Moses by hundreds of years. And now we know that they were using alphabet script at least 250 years before Moses' time. So, of course, that led critics to say that Moses couldn't have written the first five books of the Bible because there was no writings at the time of Moses. So they wanted, of course, to date those writings long after the time of Moses. And, uh, just as liberals were coming up with ways to undermine the authority of scripture in that way, archaeologists start discovering, oh, there was alphabet writings long before the time of Moses. So, yeah. How do they find those stone tablets and writings? Uh, how do they find the stone tablets and writings and then date them? I think it I'm gonna give a real shallow answer to this. I think that it has to do with unearthing other things near the near those writings or with those writings that would identify the civilizations that they were with, Babylonian civilization or uh Medo Persian civilization, etc. So that that I think is part of it. I'm not an archaeologist, so I'm not sure about that, about the dating of them, but I'm just going with what I do know to be true from people who are reliable sources. Okay, any questions before we move on to the writing materials? Here's another example of Egyptian hieroglyphics. It's difficult to decipher that. Obviously, an alphabet script is far more fluid and and usable than hieroglyphics. Yeah? How did the people who interpreted that know what that meant? I mean, how did they... I I don't know. There is something called Rosetta Stone. I'm not sure exactly how this works, but there... Correct me if anybody else knows this, but there is a Rosetta Stone, which kind of was like a key to unlocking a lot of these ancient uh, languages and what the symbols meant. And of course, the, the people who study this could put together different types of hieroglyphics and the nearness of them and probably find overlap in languages, much like English and Spanish has overlap in the language. yeah 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 the rosetta stone that 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 kind of talks about like a a cipher basically, and when they discovered that, they were able to unlock a lot of that meaning yeah I, I guess the next question is, can you read that to us? I can't go ahead, Jess I have no idea. Like I said, I can't read that, so I don't know. I don't know if that's a recipe for roasted lamb. Maybe the, this is and the Hebrew wasn't. I don't know. Cool. Alright, so let's talk about early writing surfaces. This is the, the various early writing surfaces that they used were stones. Does anybody know what that stone is there? That's the Hammurabi Code. You ever heard of the Hammurabi Code? It's the oldest known law that we are familiar with, that we, we know of, that was written down, and it was written down on that stone. Around 1750 BC, it was the written code of the Babylonian kings. There's 250 laws on the Hammurabi code. So that dates to almost 4,000 years ago. And of course, we know from Exodus that God wrote on stone. We know that from scripture that some of the earliest writings were carved into stone. Deuteronomy 27 talks about the children of Israel coming through, uh, I think it's through the Jordan River and then setting up stones and then white washing them with plaster and then writing on them the words of God on the stones. And that was an ancient method of using stone. They would find a stone and they would write or they would plaster it over with some sort of a plaster mixture and then they would write on those stones. Now you can see, I want to, as we go through these various things, oh, let me back up for a second. Um, well. As we go through the various forms of writing and the various ways that people wrote, I'm going to talk also about the benefits and drawbacks of each of these for a moment, because we're going to be going through history, and what I want you to remember is that there's no there's no way of knowing the exact timeline of how these various writing surfaces were developed or who developed them. So it's not like we can go back and say, well, the stone tablet was first written on by uh, Alfonso of Arabia, uh, and it was a love letter to his wife written on March 17th in 1757 BC. We, we don't know that. That's not how history develops. So there are various civilizations that you see this, this the stone tablets and stone um, surfaces cropping up with writings on them, but we don't have any... There's no hard and fast rule to say we know the exact day of the week on which this writing style was invented. And various civilizations were developing independent of each other, too. So you could have the a t- certain type of a writing surface develop in various places, probably closely related to one another in various civilizations. So the, this is the earliest stone inscription that we have. Here's a picture... Um, that I took down in, down in, um, California in February. I was at the Reagan Library, the Reagan Presidential Library, which is like my form of Mecca. So my wife and I went to Mecca, and after we had worshipped at the Reagan Library part of it, we went into this sort of this ancillary um, display area that they had, which was of a bunch of relics discovered off the coast of Egypt down in the ocean of a city that's been long since buried by water. And it was a recent discovery, and they had uncovered a bunch of writings and uh, Egyptian artifacts on this uh, flooded or buried city. And so here is a picture of one of those writing surfaces my t-shirt says I smell hippies at the bottom of it <laughs> if, you, if you can't read that from there so by the way I got a lot of comments on my Reagan t-shirt at the Reagan library so that is one of the uh, artifacts that they discovered and here's a close-up picture of the Egyptian hieroglyphics now that's stone that's buried underwater for hundreds of years maybe thousands of years hundreds of years I forget what the date of that was Do you remember it's hundreds of years that that's been buried underwater So one of the benefits of writing on stone is obvious. What is it? It it lasts forever. Now what are some of the drawbacks of writing on stone? It lasts forever, that can be right. It's like the internet, it never forgets. Yeah, somebody might drop and break it. You can't erase it if you make a mistake. Do you think that would take a long time or a short time to, to etch that out? How many man hours do you think is involved in that? Now, rock is plentiful, especially in the, in the Middle East. You can go anywhere and find a rock to write on. So that's easy. It's always available. It's durable. But if you had to carry around your entire Bible carved out in stone, would that be easy or difficult? Horribly difficult, right? Very inconvenient. So that's one of the drawbacks of stone. All right, the next one. Oh, here's another example of... And I, I put myself there next to that, not so you can see Reagan in you know, all his glory, but so you can see the size relative of the rocks that we're looking at. Here's another close-up of some of those rocks. This is this is the Hammurabi. Sorry, what? Yeah, they did. I just don't know what the city was. It. I was more interested in other stuff at the Reagan Library than that. I was kind of going through that because it was there. It was free, and so we went through it. And then when I got in there, I thought, "Oh, I'm going to be teaching on God wrote a book. I should take some pictures of these carved rocks." <clears throat> so this is the uh, this is a carving which is the Hammurabi stone I mentioned earlier. This is another example of some rock carvings. Okay, so just keep in mind the the benefit. There's benefits and drawbacks to each one of these forms of writing. The benefit, of course, is that it's durable, it endures, it lasts forever. Well, not forever, but you know what I mean, a long, long, long time. The drawback is that it's heavy, it's not portable, and it takes a tremendous amount of man hours to carve into something like that. All right, the next one is clay tablets, or what we call cuneiform, wedge-shaped letters. were used to inscribe in clay tablets. Jeremiah 32, verse 14 mentions clay tablets, and here are some examples of clay tablets, writings in clay tablets. Well, if you're writing in clay, usually they would write in clay when it was soft. So the question was, can you think about how you would erase something if you made a mistake? If you're writing in clay, it's soft, um, and you would be able to wipe it out and rewrite what you want. That was the ancient ancient whiteout was just rubbing the clay like that. So here's an example of a, a clay tablet that they've discovered. Here's a picture of somebody using... In modern-day sense, that's not an ancient picture from 1700s, but that's a, how you would write in a clay tablet. You take a piece of clay like that, and while it's wet, you can etch in there whatever you want, and then uh, once it hardens up, you have a not a permanent, but you do have a, um, a lasting record of what you were writing. What are the benefits of this? It lasts a long time. early internet, yeah, it's. Yeah, very good. So this is faster to write in, right? So this is a development in terms of man hours. Um, it's also lighter than stone. Anything else? You can make it any shape you want. What's that? Yeah, you can erase it. But if you drop this, is it more durable than a slab of stone or more fragile? Alright, So each one of these methods of writing has its own positives and its own drawbacks. Um, so this is a positive. This is easier to port this around. But still, if you had to carry your Bible around on clay tablets, how convenient would that be? You would probably not even be able to get the New Testament in a wheelbarrow load to bring to church on a Sunday morning. We'd have to have little, like I said, a handicap spots. we have to have wheelbarrow parking spots in our, at the end of every pew and, and pass, your, pass your clay tablet of the book of Hebrews down to somebody else at the other end of the row. The next one is wood and wax tablets. Wood and wax tablets. This is mentioned in Numbers 17, Ezekiel 37. Wood was used as a page or a sign, and sometimes these were called albums. In ancient times, they were quoted with wax and could be erased and reused as the occasion demanded. So this think of this as the early Etch-a-Sketch. So they would take a piece of wood, a slab of wood. They could make it as thin or thick as they wanted. They could put wax over the top of it. Then they could write on top of the wax, and then when it came time to erase it, they could erase it and reuse the slab. Here's an example of that. That's a piece of wood with an etching tool of some sort, and they could write in that wax coating on the front of that, and uh, then they could erase it when they wanted to and rewrite over top it. What's the advantage of this, by the way? What's an advantage of that? The weight? The weight? Yep. It's reusable. Yeah, can be used in daily things. You don't etch your your Walmart list into stone before you take it down to Walmart, but you could do that on a, on an Etch-A-Sketch, on an ancient Etch-A-Sketch like this. You could write that out, and then you could reuse it. You could erase that, and it would be gone. You could use it for something else. So in, in terms of the... Um, but this is far less durable, obviously, than stone. Uh, far more durable than clay tablets, because if you break this, or you drop this, you don't break this, um, like you might stone. Or like you might uh, obviously a piece of clay or a clay tablet. You couldn't, a you couldn't write a letter to anybody. Unless you sent the whole slate. Right, you'd have to send the whole the whole piece to them. Okay, any other drawbacks to this? Yeah, you couldn't keep that in your hot car, right? You wouldn't let it sit out in the sun. You wouldn't want to let it sit out in the sun because the wax white might melt. What's that? Termites? What'd you say, Angel? It burns. Oh, it burns. Yeah. All right. The next is metal. This is mentioned in Exodus 28, verse 36. So now we're going forward in time. Hope you're seeing that. We're moving forward from stone uh, through clay, and we're mo- uh, clay tablets and clay shards, and we're moving forward. At some point in this process, we go from hieroglyphics to uh, an alphabet style of language. And the next one in the history of technology would be metal, using metal. Uh, in the Roman Empire, Roman soldiers at the time of their discharge from active military service, they would receive what they called a diploma, which was a small bronze tablet with engravings that granted them special rights and privileges. And here is an example of... Oh, there's another wooden wax table. Here's an example of that. You can see the word Caesar kind of etched in the table up there. You can see the word tribute up there as well, if you're close enough to read some of that. So that is an example of one of these diplomas that they've discovered. Here's another example of that, a metal plate with etching in it. You can make these obviously thinner. So what are some of the advantages of metal plates they're lighter, right? They don't break. They're thinner. Sorry, what was it? They don't burn. That's right. Sorry? Long-lasting, Yep. Yeah. It is extremely durable. Was the hole in there so that they would hang it on them? I'm not sure what that is for. They would take some of the metal plates and they would bind them together into booklets and be able to bind them together with holes in them. So that's another benefit, right? You can't do that with stone tablets. You wouldn't want to do that with stone tablets. do bind six or seven of them together so that you had a full book. It would, it would, be, it would be obviously immovable. So that, that's another benefit um, that you could bind these together and you could collect more of them in one place. It is durable. It's lighter, but we're still dealing again with the drawbacks is the man hours that it would take to etch this in stone unless you could do it, find a way to do it rather quickly. Or sorry, in metal unless you could find a way to do it rather rather quickly, which would obviously be quicker than writing in stone, but not as easy as writing in clay. And I'm just doing this for the purpose of comparison and contrasting. Next one, moving forward, was what's called astraka. These were potsherds. Uh, broken pottery was used like scraps of paper. Large numbers have been found in Egypt dating back to... 3100 BC. Some were found in the land of Israel dating to 735 BC, recording the name of Pekah, king of Israel. So they would take sometimes chunks of pottery. So these are not necessarily clay tablets that are engraved when they're wet. These are pieces of pottery that then are written on with some sort of a writing ink or a stylus of some sort. That's what we're looking at here. Here's another example of them. Now, when you live in an agrarian society where pottery is is all of your vessels, your, your clean vessels, your unclean vessels, your eating vessels, your baking vessels, there's one thing that is very, very common. And what is it? It's broken pottery. So this was easy to come by, and this was a way of reusing something that they had already purposed for something else and you broke pottery and you didn't throw it away, you would collect it and say, "Okay, we just now we have a bunch of post-it notes." So collect all of the pottery together and put it in this box, and if we ever need to write a quick letter, um, you know, to the UPS guy and tell him to leave the package on the doorstep, we could do that on a piece of shard. You wouldn't have to ha- use a piece of metal for that or carve it into a stone tablet or work up a soft piece of clay. You could just etch something out on the back of a piece of pottery. Yes. Yeah, some sort of an ink or a dye that they would use and to write on something like that. So that's not etched into the pottery like the old, like the other ones we use, the clay tablets we looked at earlier. This is something written on the surface of it. Okay, what, what's another benefit of this? Number one, it's common. It's cheap. It's a way of repurposing material. So you're not buying stone tablets or metal plates or wood tablets or something like that. It's easier, to easier to carry around, right? They're small. They're everywhere. Uh, when was ink developed? I don't know. Sometime before they wrote on this. Um, well, this is mentioned. With this is there are pieces of pottery with writing on them back as far as 735 BC, mentioning the king's a king in Israel. So we're still talking about before the time of Christ, before the Greek Empire. Right? Any other questions? Okay. What's the drawback of this? They break. You can cut yourself, right? You get cuts looking up uh, Hebrews nine twelve, whatever. Brian, what? They're sharp, yeah, right. They can be easily lost. They're small. You can't fit very much on them, right? So they served a purpose. It was a convenient purpose, and we have uh, examples of it, but it wasn't really a, a popularly used one. Now, all of the above ones that we've talked about have distinct advantages and disadvantages, and now we're going to take a a giant leap forward in terms of technology and talk about papyrus. Papyrus was a light, flexible writing material. It's mentioned, papyrus is mentioned in the book of Job, chapter 8. It had multiple uses. It was used for fuel, for burning. When it was dry, it was used as food. It was used in the construction of boats, ropes, baskets, sandals, clothing, tables, and chairs. It's mentioned in Isaiah 18 verse 2 and Isaiah 9 verse 26. Pliny said that civilization depends on the use of papyrus, and we know that papyrus was used in Egypt from 3000, as early as 3000 BC. It wasn't used for paper as early as 3000 BC. It wasn't until later that papyrus came to be used to paper. So here is how Pliny describes using papyrus to make paper. He says, quote, paper is made from the papyrus plant by separating it with a needle point into very thin strips, as broad as possible. The choice quality comes from the center and thence in the order of slicing. So here's a picture of a papyrus plant. And they would take these reeds out of the water and they would, uh, use a fine point to, to, to separate the threads of this. Then they would take those threads and they would lay them in a crisscross pattern like that. And then they would lay them out in the sun to dry, and then once they were dried, they could take that and sort of polish up that surface and make a nice writing surface out of it. So the strips were laid crosswise, trimmed and pressed together, dried in the sun, and the result of this was various qualities, various various levels of quality of writing paper, writing surface. Now just looking at this picture here, what are some of the positives and the negatives of writing on papyrus? What would be the positive of using papyrus? What's that? You can use both sides of it. Of course, you can use both sides of a clay pot, clay tablets, metal sheets, and rocks as well. It's light, and it's storable. You can fold this. Or you could roll it up into a scroll, can't you? Like that. You could roll it up into a long scroll. And of course, scrolls couldn't be of infinite length. They could only be so long. In fact, most ancient scrolls of that length uh, uh, were about 30 feet in length, which is about long enough that you could write out, say, the book of Luke on it, or the book of Acts, which is why I think that those are two volumes and not one. Because there came a point where you'd roll up the book of Luke, Luke would fit on one scroll, Acts would fit on one scroll as well. Because Luke and Acts really are two volumes of the same continuing story. But back to this, what are some of the other benefits of that? So you can store it easy. It's light. Isn't it light? Mm -hmm. Very light. You can put these together into books, can't you? What are the drawbacks of this, of writing on papyrus? Pardon? Is burnable? It's not durable, is it? What's that? It deteriorates, and it can deteriorate quickly with use. Yeah, you you wouldn't want to get it wet. It would fall apart. Exactly. So here's a huge drawback. This was enormously expensive. Rock, clay, pottery, those are available to everybody. How many man hours do you think it would take to put into one piece of paper to write on papyrus? How many man hours? That is a lot, right? That's a lot of man hours. So man hours equates to cost to produce something like that. So being able to write on this surface, being able to have access to these kind of materials, these, this was a rich man's sport, as it were. And though it was common in the sense that papyrus was right there, it took a lot of effort to create that piece of paper, knowing even that it could eventually deteriorate rather easily or quickly. By the way, those strands and those strips and those fibers through there, no matter how well you polished it, if you ever tried to write on a surface that's bumpy, Okay, what is, what is that like? You're trying to write cursive, what happens? Right? Your J, your J goes up like this and then hits a line and goes over instead of down on the loop like that. Have you ever had that happen? Okay. So some of the earliest writings on papyrus in the Greek language were all in capital letters and without what we call the cursives, which we're going to look at next week. They were all in capital letters, which were straight lines in the Greek language. They were straight lines. Why is that a benefit? it's a lot easier to write on papyrus with straight lines than it is to try and do any kind of cursive or curved lines on papyrus. So our New Testament was first written on papyrus. We get our word paper from papyrus, by the way. Have you figured that out yet? We get our, way, our paper from papyrus. The Greek word that they would use to refer to this was chartase, and it denotes a sheet or a scroll of papyrus paper. The Latin used the word charta, which in English is chart or charter or card, so these are all things that you write, a chart, charter, or a card. Uh, the Greek word was biblios, which was a term for papyrus. Uh, biblion was a papyrus roll. Biblia was plural for papyrus rolls, meaning simply the books. So the biblia was the books. And eventually the books became the book, and then the book, which was a reference to sacred scripture. So our word Bible comes goes back to the word papyrus, because the word papyrus was eventually, the Greek word for that, eventually just came to be uh, transliterated into English as Bible or the Biblia for the book. Um, see, I think I've covered all the positives and drawbacks there. Uh, number six was what? Ostraca papyrus is number six. Ostraca um, was number five, which was the shards of broken pottery. Oh, I'm not sure what that was for. Can I see it real quick? Five, six. Oh. Uh, number seven should have two two blanks, which is leather and parchment. So we're still on number six. If there's two blanks there, ignore them. Move on to number six. Just create your own notebook if you want to, if you need to. You don't have it? All right. I will take that up with whoever's in charge of getting that. <laughs> Okay, so here's a. we went to the papyrus roll there. There's a papyrus all rolled out. A scroll could be up to thirty feet long, yeah. After that it became unwieldy in terms of the ability to roll up and, and unroll it. Um, oh one of the other one of the drawbacks, and this comes in later on with examining ancient church manuscripts of the New Testament and Old Testament. With papyrus, it deteriorates, as we mentioned, but, um, folding a piece of paper, if you ever had a piece of paper with something written on it and you fold it and it gets folded enough times or it gets rolled up enough times, then what eventually happens to the writing on there? Yeah, you can have a, a crease. You can have a crease in a certain place where you actually can't tell if that letter should be one letter or another letter. And there are variants within our manuscripts that come down to, was that, uh, was that a this letter or was that a that letter? Right? And there's a difference of the word where either word might work in the context, but the ancient document that we're looking at, we can't tell because there's a crease in the papyrus and the ink is worn off if it's, if it's word A or word B. And so that's one of the drawbacks of writing on papyrus is the fact that it deteriorated quickly, which is why, by the way, as an aside, New Testament documents written on scrolls and papers were rapidly uh, copied and rapidly distributed. That is, one of the ways that God preserved His Word for us was through the rapid replication, duplication of those documents and the distribution of them far and wide. That's how God has preserved His Word for us. Not by writing it down on a piece of paper that's stored somewhere in the basement of a monastery, but in the fact that these documents, multiple copies of them, can be found all over the ancient world from all different time periods, and we can compare copies with copies. But because they were because they were duplicated rapidly and because they were spread so quickly, that is how God has preserved it. Well, the, what was the necessity behind duplicating them constantly and rapidly? It was the deterioration of the parchments. They had to be duplicated rapidly. Peter, do you have a question? tied the answer that you Yeah. Uh, We're going to get into that a little bit later in a later lesson, how we deal with variants and and uh, how we weigh different manuscripts, etc. All right, the next one, so parchment or papyrus. The next one is parchments and leather, or leather and parchments, whichever order you prefer. These were used heavily in Pergamum by King Eumenes II to build a library to rival Alexandria. So uh, this seems to be it seems that the use of skins for writing on was pioneered around the area of Pergamum. Um, Eumenes II seemed to have developed and perfected the treatment process for parchment skins. So many of the Dead Sea Scrolls are written on leather. Many of the Old Testament copies were written on parchments from the earliest times, uh, meaning written on leather. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, you remember Paul refers to the parchments, likely his Old Testament text. Bring me my coat and my parchments before winter. What was he referring to? He was referring to his t- copies of the Old Testament that were written on leather skins. The word parchment, by the way, is a derivative from Pergamum, which is where it was first used. Neil Lightfoot, the historian, says this. There's a difference However, between leather and parchment, depending on how the animal skins are treated, both leather and parchment are dehaired and soaked in lime water, but leather is tanned by the application of chemical reagents, which parchment is, while parchment is stretched and dried on a frame, the skins are mainly from small animals such as sheep, goats, and calves. Speaking, vellum, which is related to the English word veal, refers to calf skin, but the term is also applied to other fine skins. Generally, however, vellum and parchment, are used interchangeably to describe a smooth, thin writing surface of any skin. Parchments eventually replaced papyrus because, did anybody guess why? Would Why would leather skins eventually replace parchments as the preferred writing surface? Longevity, right? A piece of, of a piece of leather lasts a long time, a lot, lot longer rolled up than a piece of, piece of parchment. Okay, if you rolled it up and the writing was on the inside, you could actually get it wet on the outside without destroying the, the writing on the inside. But you couldn't do that with parchment. Um, so throughout time, parchment or papyrus became less and less available. From 300 to 1500, and this is uh, AD now, after the time of Christ, from 300 to 1500, the principal receptacle for the Word of God was parched skins and not papyrus. All right, any questions about that? Oh, sorry, here's an example. I got so many things going on up here. I got my pointer, I got my clicker, I got my notes. I got questions. So, here's an example of parchments. These are thin skins rolled up into scrolls. So, what's another advantage of this as opposed to all of the other ones we've looked at? Portable, Peter? Yeah, cheaper. cheaper? Yeah, is it, it is it take less time or more time, man-hours-wise speaking, to create a scroll of parchment over a scroll of papyrus? Less, less time. Yeah, less time and very, red, very readily available. You're already eating the animal, right? So the skin is there. There's an abundance of it. You can stretch it out and use it to, to make a scroll upon which you would write something. Yeah, no, but you could probably stitch it together. Maybe a giraffe. <laughs> From all the way to the back of the head, all the way down to the, to the tail. No, they don't have they don't have tails, do they? Well, they do, I mean, but it's not like a brontosaurus tail or a, you know, yeah. No, you can't get any skin out of the tail. That was my point. You can't get any skin out of the tail. Can we stop talking about giraffe tails for a bit? What do you want, Rick? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So it's it's cheaper, it's lighter, it's more durable, more available to everybody. Again, um, any drawbacks to parchment that you can think of? What do we write on today? I'm just gonna think about this for a second. When I write something, most of my writing is not on paper or stone. It's on a machine, right? And where are those documents? They exist, but they don't exist, right? And the only way that they exist is if I tell the device that I use to write it that I want it to exist on paper, and then that device will print it up on another piece of paper. How cheap is paper for us compared to parchment in ancient times? For five bucks, I can 500 pieces of paper, right? That's a lot. Paper is really cheap. And we have developed the ability to, to use paper and to use it easily and quickly and cheaply. But we've also developed the ability now to write on the ether. To write, but without even actually writing. I mean, we're not even writing down anything. We're not inscribing anything on anything when we write today, for the most part. There's no physical surface on which your text or your emails exist. There's no physical surface. They don't actually exist in time and space, do they? It's the matrix. It's all an illusion. Okay, so what will people think of our age years from now when they're considering how we wrote things down? So what are the advantages now of our time in which we live in our writing of things down and recording of things? I can access it anywhere? How much can I carry around on this little thing? compared to a stone tablet, right? I have, I have hundreds of Bibles on this device. Not only that, but I have more books than I could read in my lifetime on this device. And then I have access to almost everything that has been written throughout human history on this device, right? And I carry this around in my pocket. But does do any of those writings, do any of the writings that I access on here actually exist anywhere on any physical surface? in terms of being etched or written. They really don't, do they? Isn't that wild to think about that? When you look at the history of humanity and you realize where we're at today, then what's going to happen a thousand years from now when they're evaluating our period of time? They're going to say, what are the advantages of that? Well, obviously it's lighter. you can put more on something, but what's the disadvantage? One EMP and all of that goes away, Right? one solar flare, a natural disaster of some sort, and all of that vanishes with no record of it anywhere. Because it doesn't actually exist. But I mean it does exist, but you know it doesn't exist. Cornell? <laughs> oh, thank you. Good. So the NSA has it. That's good. That relieves that makes me feel better. <laughs> all right, Peter. <laughs> no, Brian Oh, I see what you're saying Someplace where all this information is stored I'm sure there is somewhere Yeah, I'm sure there is someplace where all this information is stored My, my only point is that now I have access to it And now I can write and read on something that, is, that boggles the mind And it really should make us appreciate what it is that we have today Compared to what they had to have back then so as you, as you look through the history of how these things were written and how writing developed and how people wrote on things, can you see how difficult it would be for people who lived thousands of years ago to have the wealth of knowledge and the wealth of the word of God that we take for granted in our own day? Right? People, people in Paul's day, not everybody in Paul's day had access to scripture. That, that didn't happen. Widespread access to that stuff didn't happen for another 1500 years after Paul. It was very difficult to find written books. Only the wealthy owned those things. There were cities that had libraries that people would go to to see books and to see writings. But the proliferation of writings that we enjoy today is virtually, it's, it's unheard of. And what we enjoy today has only been enjoyed for the last six seconds of human history, what we get to enjoy. Relatively speaking, it's just a small slice of the timeline that gives us access to all of these things that for hundreds of years people never had because of the way that technology allowed people to write and to communicate. So I I hope that even this brief history gives you some idea of how fortunate we are and how, how how blessed we are to have the Word of God the way that we have it in the abundance that we have it. It really is truly a blessing that very little of human history has ever enjoyed. Yes? Yeah, that's right. It's a good observation. Most people couldn't read, even. They didn't, couldn't even read the language that they would be write, writing in, or that others would have written in. All right. That's, uh, we're halfway through that lesson. I went through this whole lesson with the youth in less time than that. <clears throat> but they weren't, they weren't, they didn't listen like you guys listen anyway. So they're just, when you're talking to a painting, you can just speak as fast as you want, and they don't care. All right, so next week we will go over part two, which was the form of ancient books, and we're gonna look at the scroll and the codex and codices and uh different manuscript families like Vatican manuscript, the Sinaitic Manuscript, Alexandrian manuscript, and we're gonna talk about unseals and minuscules and all kinds of other fun stuff. Codices, it just gets it gets glorious next week. So that's what we'll talk about next week. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to you for the blessing that you have given to us in your word, and even this brief perusal of human history and writing and reading has given it has to give us an appreciation for the wealth of wisdom and knowledge that you have provided for us in the written word of god and that we can access it that we can read it and study it and know it what a blessing that is and we thank you for it thank you that we live in the time that we do it is truly a blessing and and even though it brings its challenges it also has brought to us such a rich blessing and such rich grace And so we thank you as your people. We pray your blessing upon our time of of study and fellowship and worship, which is to follow. Be glorified through that, we pray in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting kootenaichurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.